0: Bibles to Galatians chapter 6 Galatians chapter 6 I'm gonna take this verse by itself but realize the verse does uh, fit into the paragraph it's the the start of this paragraph so i let me uh, let me read the verse but I'm gonna actually if you have your Bibles to Galatians 6 I'm gonna read the entire paragraph just so you can see it in its context but this is one of those verses That demands more contemplation more thought than we typically give it okay so let me read Galatians 6 brothers and this would be brothers and sisters brothers if anyone is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So I'll remind you, you're, you're in this verse, look over a couple of verses to verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another pride conceit being at the root there challenging one another to the tally sheet let's see how your performance is compared to mine or envying one another when your performance isn't what others is and this can apply in in, in all kinds of situations uh, let's compare our educations let's compare our successes let's compare how our kids are doing let's compare how many times I had my devotions this week um, So that comparison, that provoking, and that envying, and then jump up to verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the context of church. This is what church for the Galatians was: biting, devouring one another, competition, who's more righteous than the next person, who's made more progress. Who does God love? Who has he blessed? We are so quick to attach God's gifts with our obedience. Yeah, your kids turned out right. Yeah, that's right, man, good parenting. That's what happens when you obey. That's baloney. Some of the best, most godly people in the Scripture had awful children. It had nothing to do with their parenting. It was the human heart that was captured by the world. But we do this and this is what the galatian church was like can you imagine i asked this in my blurb can you imagine in a church like that confessing your sin can you imagine in a church like that going to someone and saying hey i'm struggling with this sin or i've I've just given in to this temptation i need your help or i i need some help can you imagine what you would experience if you were in that church and, and some and you said and, and your kids were having problems and you, you you looked to your small group and said, pray for my, my kid, he's having a problem, or she's having a problem. She's struggling with temptation and sin. Pray for them. We want the spirit. Can you imagine what you would receive? Can you imagine the immediate looks? Whoa. Can you imagine? the comments can you imagine the experience can you imagine sitting in that church and you're going around your small group and everyone's talking about their great successes and how God has blessed them and how great their kids are and how strong their bank account is and can you imagine what you'd feel if you weren't reaching that standard this is the church that Paul is writing to It's infected with a gospel that is another, that is distorted. A gospel that bases God's affection and our worth on our performance. How well we are doing at keeping the law of God. It's a church that is... It's a gospel that is based on personal pride. And so Paul uses, and it's important to understand that as we interpret this paragraph, otherwise we're going to miss some of his language. If you think you're something, when you're nothing, you're deceived, but test your own work, then you, can, then you have something to boast in. we'll miss the sarcasm in some of that if we don't understand the context that Paul is writing to and writing in. How do we respond to our brothers and sisters in a context of grace. How does the gospel of Jesus Christ cause us or change us so that when we're in this context and someone falls into temptation or someone violates the law of God, someone commits adultery or someone has a child out of wedlock or someone tries drugs for the first time or one of our teenagers, get how, how, what, what should the experience be? Because that's what Paul's laying out in this text. And how you respond has much more to do with you and how you think about yourself in light of the gospel than it does with God. And if you've had a bad experience in church, if, you've had a, if church is something that you don't want to be part of, they're all judgmental and critical, we hope that's not true, but it often is because we're sinners too. And so what we all have to do is kind of keep the ideal in mind. And this is the ideal. This is the presentation, and it is a massively important verse for our function together. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. The lesson is that in humility, and this is so Humility is such a critical element. Andrew Murray called it the, the root of all of the graces of God come through a through a humble heart. In humility, we move toward each other as ministers, as dispensers of grace, for mutual spiritual health. so let 's look at some things in the text. Number one, grace changes how we relate to each other there's no doubt when we understand an an undistorted gospel, an undistorted teaching that we are all sinners, none of us righteous, all of us have transgressed and broken the law, that God in His great mercy has provided salvation through His Son, and that there's nothing we can do to earn it, to merit it, all we can do is turn in faith to Jesus, and in that moment, We are justified, righteousness declared over us, and the Spirit comes and works to make us actually obedient people. A teaching of the gospel actually changes how we relate to each other. First, we're brothers and sisters. We're family. Think about that from the diversity standpoint that Paul is in. The big, content, or the, big the, the big, split was between Jew and Gentile. And you see Peter in chapter 2 failing in that. He's eating with Gentiles, he a Jew, and when people from Jerusalem show up, he immediately withdraws to demonstrate his own cleanliness. I'm clean. This isn't my family. These dirty Gentile dogs, I, I wasn't hanging out with them. Think of the diversity within that context, how women were treated within Rome, how children were viewed within the Roman Empire, and how they were viewed in the Greek. You had Roman and Greek culture coming in here so that women and children couldn't even eat with the men. The men were on such an exalted plane. And then you have the racial diversity, within, uh, segregation within the church. And, and racial segregation and socioeconomic sec- segregation happens in every New Testament letter in some standpoint. It's addressed. And let me tell you, the church hasn't changed today. If Paul were to write to the American evangelical church, it would sound very much the same. What happens with the gospel is we are all put on an even plane, rich and poor, black and white. They are all precious in his sight, male and female, young and old. We are all humbled at the foot of the cross as transgressors, as sinners, saved by grace, all who believe in Jesus, adopted into the family of God. All of us sharing now the same inheritance in Christ. Because it's only in our older brother that we find redemption. It's only in our older brother, Jesus Christ, that we find the inheritance. That we find an eternity with God. It's only through him that we are brought into the holy of holies in the presence of God. And so the gospel says... The gospel changes us. It it causes us to greet each other as brothers and sisters, to see a, uh, a family connection that is permanent, that is unchanging. Siblings often fight. I have two brothers. We fought, but we are fundamentally brothers, and nothing can change that and Paul uses this language to define how we work together. He says we're a body in 1st Corinthians 12, but over and over it's this familial language, this permanent, unchanging relationship. You might be a scoundrel, but you will still be my brother and sister at the end of the day. And that that bleeds this idea of responsibility. It changes how we relate to each other and that we're humble. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, Tim Keller says. It's thinking of yourself less. One author said the quality of not being impressed by a sense of one's own importance. So that when a brother or sister is caught in a uh, transgression, we cannot say with Miley Cyrus, I came in like a wrecking ball. All right, this is people who today are trying to speak truth to power. And in speaking truth to power, all they're doing is showing their anger and their venom. They're showing their own pride and envy and tally sheet. They're entering into this competitive relationship instead of walking in with humility. The word literally is is translated gentleness, but over and over in Scripture, it is translated humility. It is this Less of self. I'm not thinking about me. I enter into relationship with you for you. I remind you of what Stott said that I quoted last week that I still think is the most important thing I've learned over the last couple of weeks. And again, how I, how I relate to you is fundamentally about how I think about myself. And I'm, I'm relating to you based on my own self-image, my own identity we come into a relationship with other persons' well-being in mind not mirroring not mirroring ourselves in others but mirroring ourselves in god and in that we find humility comparing yourselves with others scripture says is unwise But when I compare myself with the Word of God, with the goodness of God and the glory of God, it leaves me with nothing. It leaves me completely abased in His presence. And it's in that abasement that God actually exalts me to a minister of His grace in the lives of my family. And I don't mean my immediate family. I mean you. I mean my church family. We don't do good work in the lives of others without humility before God. We just don't. And so the gospel fundamentally changes how I think about me. And as it changes how I think about me, it enables me to change how I relate to you. There's desire in this text. What do I want for this person who is caught in a transgression? Look back in your, in your, in your uh, Bibles. Brothers, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. What's my desire? What's my motivation? Your motivation is what's best for others to seek to help them be whole again, to be faithful to God. It's what every parent wants for their child, hopefully, it's what every spouse wants for their spouse. Stay with me. Don't stay with me. I long for you to be whole in the presence of God. I long for you to experience the fullness and the goodness of God. And me tell you, if we lived that way, people would stay with us. Our marriages would be strong. The idea of restoration is that of, of mending a net or even better of setting a bone. By God's grace, I have not broken a single bone in my life. I always want to knock on wood when I say stuff like that. God, I don't need to learn what it feels like to break a bone. But I've seen broken bones. I've seen people who have broken them. I imagine the pain from what I've experienced with them. And then to have that bone set and wrapped and positioned so that over time it can heal. The restoration, the setting, is not the healing. The setting is preparing it to heal. That's our role. What do I want for you? How am I going to invest in your life? Because the gospel has fundamentally changed what I want for you. And what I want for you is to know the goodness and the grace of God. This changes how I, how I disciple my children Instead of trying to control them, I'm trying to get them set in relationship with God. I'm trying to help them develop disciplines of grace so that they can walk with God because I can't stop them from sinning. I can't stop them from walking down paths of temptation. I can't spare them from pain and suffering, but I can connect them with the person who will minister to them faithfully for their entire life. And so the setting is the work that we do. The healing is the work that God does. But this is what I want for someone. This is what I want for you. This is what I hope you want for me. I don't want my pound of flesh. I don't want to put uh, another person down or, or take the chance to expose them and shame them for their sin. So that I can come out looking clean and they can come out looking dirty. No, what I fundamentally want for a person has changed. I want them to know the grace of God. I want them to know the forgiveness that I have experienced and experience on a daily basis. I want them to know the love of God. The gospel changes me. It gives me a sense of responsibility, a sense of of purpose and what I'm to pursue that I'm not allowed to sit on the sidelines in the body of Christ. I am not allowed to sit on the sidelines. I have to be engaged in, each other, in, in the lives of the people around me, my small group. The people who, who certainly come to me as a pastor, but the people that I see who are struggling, that I step into their lives, I have a fundamental responsibility because they're family. And because the Spirit desires something for them, and I desire the same thing. For them to know the love and the grace of God. Because as a person in relationship with God, I know that it is all of His grace. That I have done nothing to earn it or to deserve it. So the gospel fundamentally changes how we relate to each other. And in humility, what do we do? We move toward each other. As ministers of grace for mutual spiritual health grace change affects uh, our perspective our self perspective I've mentioned this it changes how we think about ourselves look at the text Um, if anyone is caught I I love that I love that word but Paul has a, a reason for saying it first of all in a church context anyone caught in a transgression or sin is anyone it's pastors and elders it's children and i mean it's it's everyone no one's exempt and everyone is susceptible there's no one in this room who can say i'm not part of the anyone there's no one in this room who can say i'm not struggling with sin and temptation there's no one in this room who says who can say i do not need the grace of god You might need to bring someone if, it's, if, it's, if you have to confront an elder or a pastor, which, by the way, you're going to have to because elders and pastors are sinners. Okay? Don't forget that. I am the youngest of three. said, is my, my little moment of confession. I am the youngest of three. I could not physically wrestle and compete with my brothers. I still can't because they're much bigger than I am. We don't stand up in birth order. We stand up in girth order. They'll laugh about that too. Don't feel like I'm picking on them, but that's what I do. See what I just did? That's what I do. I'm the youngest, so I pick on them. So I, I'm, I, I, and it's not mean. They're my brothers. I love them. I'm committed to them. But then I stand up here and I do that with someone from the church, and everyone goes, "Oh man, Tim, stop that." And I'm, you know, what I'm saying to myself, "Oh Tim, shut up." The other day, I, I was playing with Paul when we were commissioning him i tell you there's there's probably no one in this church other than my family that i love more than pastor paul we have a solid meaningful relationship i trust him in ways that 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 are very very meaningful to me there are few people in my life that i have the kind of relationship with that i have with pastor paul and what did i do i did my third born thing i said you're old and some people were like why did he call him old he's not that old i'm that old in fact i'm older than him and so it just started this whole you know poor pastor paul and people were coming up to pastor paul and saying yeah, he shouldn't have said that about you and pastor paul's like no, that's not his heart that's not his heart and it isn't but that's my that's my stupidness that's my playfulness that's where i get in trouble I know it. I'm repenting of it. Because fundamentally, there's still something about me that's, that's coming out there. And this is where God is humbling me and helping me be a better pastor. I've got to remember that you all look at me as Pastor Tim when I still look at me as just Tim. So there's all kinds of things going on. Um, and if you have to come and talk to me, you might need to bring someone with you. You might be afraid to come talk to Pastor Tim. Let me tell you, my junior hire, John, is not afraid to come talk to Pastor Tim. He'll, he'll, he'll look at me and say, Dad, what's wrong? Why are you so upset? And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I was so upset. Thank you for bringing He's much more in touch uh, than, sometimes than I am. But everyone is, uh, but anyone is everyone. And there's no one in this room who is exempt from temptation and sin, and there's no one in this room who is exempt or should be exempt from the loving grace of God. The loving, graceful confrontation of their brothers and sisters. Words of admonition are words of mercy. They're words of affection. They're words of grace. There's no clean and unclean, there's only a bunch of unclean people that in Jesus' grace he has made clean. That's it. There should be a humility about us where we realize our need our need for God's grace and for the body's involvement. Not only is it anyone, but it's those who are spiritual. Look what he says. If anyone's caught in a transgression, if anyone, doesn't matter, if, top down, you who are spiritual, I love that. I love sarcasm. And that's what that is. Because it's in the context of Galatians chapter 5. Walk In the spirit, keep in step with the spirit, live in the spirit of God and you will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. In a context where some people were saying, I'm spiritual because I've followed the law of God. Look how spiritual I am. Look how much God approves of me and loves me. And Paul says, well, spirituality isn't defined by your performance. It's defined by the grace of God as you experience it by walking in the spirit. That's spirituality, so you who are spiritual, which kind of slams them, kind of just knocks the pedestal off of the performance underneath from the performance people, and kind of says, "All of you who have the spirit, all of you who have the spirit, which is all of you who are in Jesus, all of you who have the spirit, who are walking in the spirit, you're the ones. You're the ones need to speak into each other's lives by the way that's not the pastor i mean, it should be the pastor scratch that i need to say that better it should be the pastor who's walking in the spirit okay but don't assume that that loving confrontation and ministering to others is the pastor's job it is but it's yours as well to step into the lives of your brothers and sisters and minister grace to them and this is this is this is Paul's language, and I love it because I, I just think it's funny how he addresses it. If you follow the desires of the Spirit, you will seek to restore your family to faithfulness before God. And only that, we're called to be watchful. Why does he tell us to be watch, watchful? Lest you also be tempted. And there's, there's several things here. Number one, as we engage with each other, it's really easy to start comparing ourselves. You did What? What do you struggle with? How often? As you engage in relationships, as we engage, it's real easy to start being critical. Or it's real easy to start envying. And so there's a temptation as we engage in relationship within the body of Christ to start down that path. But there's also a temptation when you're helping someone with their transgression, when you're seeking to restore them, the very thing that tempted them is now something that can tempt you. And Paul's point is we are all susceptible we are all in this position of being lured by temptation there's no one exempt from that so what Paul says in first Corinthians 10 as he explains how the Israelites fell into idolatry and sin and and he says they thought they were standing firm they thought they were on good ground until they fell T- so listen If you think you stand take heed lest you fall finally grace changes how we view sin Paul calls it transgression of all the words for sin transgression is probably the strongest in my in my thinking you can prove me wrong you can go do a study on it and and say I disagree but I think transgression is the strongest because it it, it basically, it's a word picture that says, here's the rule, don't step over that line. And so transgression is actually violating a rule of the, of the word of God, of the law of God. It's breaking that barrier. And it reminds me that we don't do each other any favors by diminishing the reality of what sin is. Sin is a breaking. This is what John says in First John. He says sin is any transgression of the law. We don't do our culture any good. We don't do our children any good. We don't do our spouses any good. We don't do ourselves any good when we minimize sin. When we try and say it's something that it's not. It is a violation of the holy law of God. And the smallest sin deserves the full wrath and punishment of God. Because it's not the sin, it's the person who is sinned against. It's the lawgiver whose law we broke. We have got to stop as a church and as an evangelical culture categorizing sins. Yes, As our confession and as the scripture reminds us, some sins come with graver consequences in life. But sin is any transgression of the law of God and every single one deserves the full, eternal outpouring of the wrath of God. Because it's the person that we are sinning against And so Paul calls it transgression. If you see a brother overtaken in transgression, you who are spiritual, don't minimize the transgression. And I would say this to our spouses, to our our families, um, especially to our women. Okay, I, I meet so many women who come over my 25 years of ministry who have come to me and said, My husband is doing X and it's getting to this point and here are the manifestations of it now and one of my questions is how long has this been going on and they will say 10 years 15 years 20 years and and I don't ask it I don't ask it but my my next question I always want to say why so long they usually tell me, you know, I, I, I didn't know what to do, or I love them, I thought it was best not to confront that, not to deal with that. Or part of the abuse is keeping me silent, is telling me not to talk, and I was afraid. And typically there's great fear, because women are in this very vulnerable position, typically, where there's loss of home and income and, and future. There's a lot of fear there, and I get that. I get that. But that's less serious. That's less serious. It's serious. It's meaningful. It's, it's, um, it's important. I, I never want to diminish it. But there's something bigger, and that's this person's relationship with God, and that they are violating and willfully violating the law of God and willfully acting against the Lord in this kind of abuse or this kind of manner. And it needs to be addressed as such. And not minimize, and often we minimize it. We try and excuse it because we don't want to face the reality of what it is. And so Paul doesn't shirk away. He doesn't. He doesn't back off. He calls it what it is. And so grace changes how I view it. Grace frees me. Grace should free you to confess sin as sin. To walk into a reconciliation meeting and say. I need to be reconciled with you because I sinned against you and against the Lord. Call it what it is. It's okay. Because by the grace of God, it's been paid for. But it's also brokenness. And we get this idea from this mending. There's a brokenness in this person's life. There's a failure to experience the grace of God and to walk in the grace of God. But it also tells us that there can be healing in this brokenness. We are all affected by the the curse. We are all still affected by the curse. It has still affected our marriages. It has still affected our, our parenting, our relationships with our spouses. It affects us us individually. There is a brokenness in our culture. there is a brokenness in our community there 's a brokenness in our lives. The scripture doesn 't shy away from that yes it 's sin, but the, the combinedness of sin creates massive dysphoria massive brokenness within the culture and there's a transgression seems hard but then there's a softness that starts to develop and then the next word is caught if you see a brother overtaken and the word in in other translations is caught i guess in this translation it's caught i'm thinking about the king james which is overtaken uh, if you see a brother who 's caught and what this what this this has p- two possible meanings: either you caught them, oh, I see it not the context doesn 't fit the context. The context is overtaken. they were tempted, they faced the temptation, and unlike Jesus, when he faced temptation, they gave in. It fits very well with James chapter one, where James says that we are tempted. When we are lured by our, when when lures draw from our desires. The things that we desire, Satan puts out there as fresh bait to uh, to lure us. The idea is that we're trapped in some way. That we've given in and now we're ensnared. And Paul assumes, uh, this is Romans 7, Paul assumes that the believer doesn't want to be entrapped with this. They don't want to be overcome with this. They want to be free. They don't want to live this way. They don't want to act this way. Um, and so you, you can see that the, the transgression is real, but, but there's a brokenness that, we, that we're sensitive to. And then there's a, an overwhelmedness that we, we understand because we've all faced temptation before. And uh, there's, a, there's this idea of be careful lest you be tempted because we're all tempted. So grace changes how we view sin in our lives and in each other's lives. There's a recognition that it is what it is, but there's a, a movement in our hearts to say, yes, but we're all caught up in the in the dysphoria of, of the sinful culture. We're all caught up in the temptations that we face. We're all wrestling with this. And this is how the humility of grace moves us towards each other. The, the title of the sermon that I put here was Gospel R&R because what I wanted to do is remind you what the vision of East Cobb Presbyterian Church is. Folks, if if any passage (laughs) captures the vision of our church, it's Galatians 6.1. We want to be a place that promotes reconciliation and renewal, which is only possible through the gospel. It's only possible through the grace that God has provided through His Son, Jesus Christ. We want to meet single moms who are, you know, teenagers who are in the area or college or young adults who have given in to sexual temptation for various reasons. And now they're pregnant and they're alone and they don't know what to do. And we want to say to them, God, God loves you. And we're just like you, just different expression. And we want to minister to you. We want to show you the love and the grace of God. And it's not just for embrace grace. Folks, this is for People caught in all types of sexual sin. Ministering to a culture that is just rife with brokenness. We want to minister there. We want to be ministers of grace. Some applications. It is not sin that kills a community. It is not sin. Sin does not have the power to destroy this church. Not your sin, not my sin. The reason this is emotional is because it is so glorious that sin cannot destroy my marriage. Pride can pride can if I fall into sin and 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 be totally understandable that my wife would want nothing to do with me. Get get out. Of, yeah, but that's not the gospel. And if she were to fall into sin, I could I could act the same way. I'm better than you. I don't deserve this. Down the path. Sin doesn't destroy. Pride does. Sin has lost its power in the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ robs it of its power and frees you to love and forgive. It frees you to show mercy and grace. It empowers you to live in that forgiveness that you have received from God who day by day doesn't bring it up to you. It's more powerful than sin. What destroys communities... Is pride. It's performance living. It's what was destroying the Galatian church. Trying to find my value in how I perform. Question for you. These are things for you to consider. Do you move toward others? What about the people you don't like? Some of you probably don't like me. I don't like you either. I'm kidding. Do you move toward people? The offensive ones, the people who have hurt you deeply, the people who just annoy you or you think somehow they're unclean, do you move toward them? Can you, can you think of people who have offended you right now and say, I've moved toward them to try and build a relationship, to try and extend grace? Or have you withdrawn? Unlike, unfriend them on Facebook, the easiest thing in the world to do. How, do you move toward them? Are you your brother's keeper? Jesus told a parable about that one. That's very specific. And the answer to that is yes. Okay? Are you your brother's keeper? Yes. So ask the next question. Well, let's get technical and define my brother. And Jesus says, yes, everyone. Are you your brother's keeper? Have you accepted that responsibility? For the lives of the people that God has put in your midst. What do you want for that person? What do you want for that person? To stop being annoying? To stop being broken? To stop, you know, affecting your life? Or to experience the love and the grace of God? To grow in that grace and to know the faithful love of of a father? What do you want for each other? What do we want for each other? What do we want for East Cobb? And are we willing to move toward East Cobb? Because we want that so bad. We want them to know the renewing, reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. And we're willing to suffer for it. jesus moved toward us this is the great message of galatians that god sent his son folks there's not a person here that jesus hasn't moved toward that's the gospel father humble us in the presence of our great savior who left heaven's glory and came and descended to earth as a man so that he could live under the law obediently, so that he could die a death he did not deserve, so that he could raise victorious over sin, victorious over death. And as we sang, he put death to death in that grave. Help us to live in that good news, for that good news to change how we think about each other, ourselves, and sin so that we can be ministers of grace, so that we can be agents of gospel, renewal, and reconciliation in East Cop. In Jesus' name, amen.